Arizona Common Ground is about exploring issues from a public health perspective. While recording and listening to this podcast, I hope to create an environment where we can challenge ourselves to listen intently, think openly, debate intelligently, and care endlessly. So thank you for listening in. Support for AZ Common Ground comes from the Western Region Public Health Training Center at the University of Arizona. In this episode, we will be speaking with Senator Carter from Legislative District LD15, who has been working in the legislature for nine years and serves on the Appropriations Committee. Together, we will go through the timeline of the budget process and talk about Arizona state budget. We will discuss the relationship between the state and the federal budgets and what matching dollars are. Specifically as a case study, we will talk about how we desperately need to increase residency spots in Arizona, yet are still restricted based on the federal matching dollars, which was capped in the late 1990s. We recall the committees that deal with budget and finance matters, them being the Appropriations in the House of Representatives and the Appropriations Committee in the Senate. The Senate also has an additional finance committee. The cost to run a state like Arizona is approximately $40 billion. Our state budget, which gets voted on by legislators, can range from 10 to 12 billion. In Arizona, our top three expenditures include healthcare, education, and public safety. So let's get into it. My name is Will Humble. I'm Deb Gullett. I'm Cherie Stone. Hi, I'm Greg Ensel, Vice President of Government Relations at the Arizona Hospital and Healthcare Association. I'm Pele Fisher. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Gerald. If you're listening to this podcast, you made a good choice because public health is a great career. listening in. This is Arizona Common Ground, and I am here with Senator Carter, also known as Dr. Heather Carter, and I am so excited to be in the room with her. We are at the Western Region Public Health Training Center recording studio, and I'm going to let her give herself a brief introduction. Heather. Thanks for having me here today. I'm excited to talk about the Arizona state budget with you. I am a state senator from Legislative District 15. I serve in North Phoenix, Scottsdale, and parts of Cave Creek. I have been in the legislature for nine years, eight years in the House, and I just completed my first year in the Senate, and I do serve on the Appropriations Committee. So that is ground zero when it comes to the state budget. I'm so excited. They couldn't have gotten any better, listeners. I 100%. So let's just dive right into it. So I'm going to give a little bit of background, and I'm going to talk more from the federal level, but then we're going to bring it right in, okay? So um, the budget process from the federal level. As per the Fed process, a budget proposal is made by the president in late January of each year. The budget is based off of economic assumptions prepared by economists in the White House or the executive branch. And they use like historical data, you know, what was spent in years before. And so a good way to look at it is the budget depends on the state's economy. So after the proposal from the president, Congress, the House of Representatives and the Senate decide on what to add in the budget. So what makes it in and what doesn't. Once a budget plan is passed, it gets sent to the president. This budget usually always looks different from the proposed budget. Similar, but slightly different. So today we're going to talk about Arizona, and so we're going to just go right in. So Dr. Carter, what are the biggest revenues and expenses in Arizona? Well, in Arizona, unlike the federal government, we must produce a balanced budget at the end of each legislative cycle. Question, though, why do states—I know I wasn't going to ask this question, but why do states have to balance and the feds don't? 
boy, that's a that's a whole other podcast. Okay, we're doing another episode. On <laughs> that's that another one. podcast. Uh, but for the state of Arizona, we have an obligation to produce a budget each fiscal year. So the fiscal year starts in the state July first, and then we go throughout that year. We have our legislative session that opens up the second Monday in January, and we kick off the legislative session with the governor's state of the state. That happens the second Monday, and that speech outlines the governor's priorities for this upcoming legislative session and for the state budget. However, if you're following along and are interested in more details, Friday following the state of the state is the most important day because that's when the governor introduces his or her executive budget in a written form. So you would be able to access that document either online or uh, this governor, Governor Ducey, has produced a jump drive to save to save trees. And that's where you can really take a deep drive into which agency has submitted what budget requests and so forth. And that's where all of the details are. After that, then the legislature will start to unpack that governor's budget, and we would have a series of appropriation meetings where each agency has the opportunity to present their executive budget. Over the last few years, what we've seen is just a couple of um, the larger agencies coming to present, and then committee members, if they had additional questions, could ask those questions in committee as well. Gotcha. Then I'm going to add in for the listeners, if you are interested in knowing about the governor's budget, it is on the Arizona state governor's website, and he has it's very it's very appealing to the eyes. So I highly recommend going to take a look at that. So if I digest, if I'm when I'm digesting what you just mentioned, the governor proposes something usually verbally and then in text. And then from there, is that supposed to delegate or is it more of like, this is what I would like you to work on? And, you know, is that what legislators have in mind or do they have to 100 percent go by the governor's recommendations? Well, as with any other state government, there are separations of power. So you have the executive branch, the legislative branch and the judicial branch. The executive will make a recommendation and then the legislature will act upon uh, either what is in the executive budget or perhaps introduce new items for the budget or change the executive budget. But it, ultimately, both branches of the legislature, both the Senate and the House, both chambers, mm -hmm. must agree to whatever the budget we move forward, and then ultimately the governor would have to sign the budget. So the magic numbers, as we talked in another podcast about passing legislation, hold true for the budget as well. And the budget isn't one bill, it's a series of bills. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that in just a minute, but you still need to have 31 people vote for the budget in the House, 16 people vote for the budget in the Senate, and then ultimately the governor would need to sign the budget. So that takes a lot of work to come together and negotiate what is either in or out of the budget. But I think it's important for people to understand that the budget doesn't start the first day of session. When does it start? 
The governor is working on his executive proposal back in the early fall, late summer of the prior year. So, so after session ends. Almost. So immediately upon sine die, the end mm -hmm. of session, people will start to look at what are the priorities for the next legislative cycle and really starting to focus on the budget. So the executive agencies will look at the budget that was just passed and then try to predict what their needs will be in the next year. In Arizona, the agencies must submit their budget recommendations to the governor's office by September 1st. So technically, if you would like an agency to expend dollars on a particular program, diabetes prevention programs, for example, mm -hmm. that could have an impact on the access budget. It could have an impact on DHS's budget. Just Department depends on of which, Health Services. Right, just adding it. Department in. of Health Services. Just depends on what agency would um, be the responsible agency for expending those dollars. Those agencies are putting their budget requests forward in the summer and early fall. So if you come to the legislature in January asking for new dollars, you're actually almost six months late. So Incredible. my advice, Whoa. if one takeaway, which I hope there'll be a number of takeaways, <laughs> you have to work almost a year in advance before having something in the executive budget and ultimately potentially passed by the legislature as well. Yeah. Wow. That is, I'm going to repeat that, ladies and gentlemen. And this is what this is about, too, is understanding when is the best time to get involved, how do we maximize our time, and this is it. We now know that in September, that is when they're starting to plan, send in your budgets um, and get involved before January. So I'm going to take us back because I am very curious, and I, I know we've spoken about this before, but as per Arizona, can we talk about the biggest revenues and the biggest expenses? And that, that it's going to help shape, and our listeners and myself as well, understand kind of how the money's almost already allocated in a sense. Right. I think that's really important for people to understand. When you look at the state budget, and if it were an enterprise, if it were a business, the enterprise of the state of Arizona is over $40 billion. So if you look at all the dollars that it takes to run the state of Arizona, that's over $40 billion. If you look at just the dollars that we appropriate in the state budget, that's 10 to $12 billion, depending on which budget year you're looking at. Okay. And so the difference between the two are many times related to federal matching dollars. So if the federal government changes the way they partner with Arizona on any program, whether it be our Medicaid program, whether it be special education funding in the K-12 system, the list goes on and on and on, it will have an impact on our state budget and the services we offer at the state level. Um, if you look at the, the way we expend those dollars, if you're looking at the 40 plus billion dollar uh, ledger, really it's three things that drive the expenses in the state of Arizona. It's health care, it's education, and it's public safety, which includes all of our dollars that go towards the, cor the correction system. When you compare the general fund expenditures to the totality of expenditures for the state of Arizona, the percentages of dollars to each category are different. So if you're looking at the 40 plus billion dollars that it takes to run the state of Arizona, the, in that category, healthcare is probably the largest piece of the pie. That's because we draw down a lot of federal matching dollars in our healthcare system. If you look at just the uh, state general fund dollars, which is 
10 to 12 billion dollars depending on the budget year education is the largest piece of the pie so any change in either piece of the pie whether you're talking about at the state level in the general fund uh, category or all of the dollars that come in to run the state of Arizona you can really impact different pieces of the budget depending on where the dollars emanate from. Are they federal dollars? Are they state dollars? And so forth. That actually goes really well because that was my, the next thing I wanted to ask, and you touched on it, but how do the mandates from the federal government impact state budgets and can we and the programs as well? And I thought I really like how you brought up uh, Medicaid, Medicare, and education, and I was wondering, can we maybe use some case studies? Well, using just round numbers, over 67% of the budget, now I'm just talking about the state general fund budget, 67% of the dollars that we expend are already accounted for, accounted for yeah. either through inflationary statutory required spending, new caseload growth, so more kids in school, mm -hmm. more individuals eligible for Medicaid services, uh, the size of our prison population, the number of people that we have incarcerated, or things that the voters of Arizona have approved. So anything that is approved at the ballot box mm -hmm. cannot be changed by the legislature. It can only be furthered. So you could expend more dollars, but you can't expend less. And so the majority of the state general fund dollars are already determined on how those dollars will be expended. So there's not, um, th there's some flexibility in our state budget, but I just want people to understand that 67% of the dollars in the state general fund are already accounted for in one way or another. And because they, that's what makes our state run, you know? Right. So if you, in Arizona, we have just over a million students in our K-12 system. If we have uh, if we drop down to 900, then we would expend less dollars, but the amount of money we expend per student then would be determined at the legislature up to a point because the voters of Arizona have passed in a number of different uh, initiatives and referrals a floor for which we cannot go below. So the legislature can spend additional dollars, but they can't drop below what the voters of Arizona have uh, requested. Same thing is in place on the Medicaid side. Okay. So for example, we passed Proposition 204, which required the state of Arizona to provide Medicaid coverage for people who do not have kids at home but met a certain income level. And in 2013, we expanded that income level. You can never drop below what the voters of Arizona passed at the ballot box, mm -hmm. which was the federal poverty level, but in 2013, we increased it. Wow. Wait, is that at real? At the legislature. That is incredible. Yes. So when the Affordable Care Act was passed and the states could individually determine whether they would expand their childless adult coverage, mm -hmm. Arizona had already passed almost a decade prior that we would provide Medicaid insurance coverage to childless adults at the federal poverty level. So in Arizona, our decision wasn't whether we were going to cover that population up to the federal poverty level, it was whether we were going to increase it to 138% of the federal poverty level. Other states, when they were faced with that same decision point, they hadn't covered childless adults in their Medicaid system. So other states, when they were deciding on whether they were going to 
um, expand. expand Medicaid coverage, mm -hmm. their voters or their governor or their legislature had had not made that decision we had in Arizona by the voters long before the Affordable Care Act was ever in place. That is amazing. That's a great, great example. So that's a case study example that is, for Yeah, you. that is fantastic. In that case, for public health advocates or you know students that are graduating, and they're saying, hey, you know, this is my field. I work in maternal and child health. And then they see what's happening at the federal level, and they're getting worried. So how does the state of Arizona like uh, account for maybe federal money that's not coming in that next year and saying, okay, how do we prep for this? Or how are those things prioritized? Well, that's always challenging at the state level to try and predict what the federal government will or will not do. The best, the best mechanism we have for that is to look what they've done historically mm -hmm. and try to use that as an accounting measure to predict what they would do in the future. And typically, we don't see the federal government making wholesale changes um, instantly. Once again, as mm -hmm. we, we've talked the federal government hasn't passed a comprehensive budget in a number of years. So, you know, through their continuing resolutions, they will change funding formulas on particular programs. But they still typically give you a year's head start to say this is how we're going to change the funding and the partnerships with the states. Gotcha. So at that point, then the state has the opportunity to make a decision. Do we continue pro funding that program? And do we do it with state dollars or do we phase out that program if we now as a state have to continue the funding with no partnership from the federal government? But I do think it's important for students to not only pay attention to what's happening federally because we see that every night on the evening news and on any number of cable stations you may or may not watch. But it's also critically important to pay attention to what we're doing at the state level. Yes. Because really where the tire meets the road is at the state level. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to enact change, the quickest way to do it would be to work at the state level, but then determine if there is a federal partnership or a federal matching program that you can leverage state dollars to try and cobble together both state and federal dollars to fund something. We do that in gradu graduate medical education. So in this last legislative cycle, we put in the state budget additional state dollars for our graduate medical education. It's the first time we've funded state-funded graduate medical education in over a decade. Wait, bravo! That was that was that was that's incredible. <laughs> that was a that was a, a a big win in this year's state budget, and we will be able to now do that in addition to what we already received from the federal government, mm -hmm. which has been capped since 1996 I think is the year oh my goodness. and if you think about how Arizona has changed since 1996 we have just exploded in population and yet the dollars that we receive from the federal government are capped at 1996 rates and so in Arizona we are at a disadvantage because we need to increase the number of practitioners we have uh, to deliver health care across all of our licensees and if we look at just the physician pipeline residency spots are critical for the state of Arizona to attract train and retain the practitioners in the state of Arizona and what we do know based upon uh, a number of research studies that individuals that do their residency training in the state of Arizona will stay in Arizona. So that's why it's critically important for us to add additional dollars to grow more residency spots in the state. However, for every dollar we put in at, as a state, we can draw down 
$2.34. So the state spends one, we get a matching $2.34 so that we can leverage additional dollars to grow those residency programs. That is amazing. And is that formula different depending on um, like the healthcare or if it's a different field? Like I'm wondering, because usually it's like one per one, right? For matching, we usually think about one dollar for a dollar. It just depends on the program. So some gotcha. programs are dollar for dollar. Some programs are one dollar for two dollars, one dollar for ten dollars. It just depends on the program. So if you're trying to advance a health policy initiative, look to see if there are federal matching dollars available, because then you can go to the state legislature and say, look, if you put up one dollar, you will receive two or three or four from the feds, and then you will have more dollars to advance your program. If it's a program that you are just funding at the state level, then you make sure that you can show why that is important at the state level, but then there would be no federal dollars that would follow that. And here's my big second sort of teachable moment for the students. First one was, if you're trying to get something in the state budget, don't wait until the first day of session to ask for it. You need to work almost a year in advance with not only the, with not only the executive branch, but with the legislative branch. And my point number two is, a lot of times people bring great ideas to advance a public health initiative, but my first question to them is, how are you going to pay for it? And so when you're trying to advance your policy, ask yourself, what will it take to move this idea forward? And many times it does require an investment of some sort. So then your next question is, where are those dollars going to come from? Are they going to come from the state? Are they going to come from the federal government? Private philanthropy? Is it a grant program? You've got to be able to answer all of those questions before you can move your idea forward. That is a great example. And I we do talk about it in previous um, episodes, but I'm really glad you repeated that because I feel like in our in school, but also as we're working at health departments or we see something that we're like, if we change X, Y, and Z, it would be more cost efficient. And I guess I'm going to use an example. And it's uh, the reason, so we're going to talk about HB 2208 that was from 2019. It's a stock albuterol bill. There's an awesome team here Um I call them Team Gerald, but there are two professors here at the University of Arizona that are big advocates and work in schools and with, and with um, asthmatic kids. And what this bill does is it allows schools to have a rescue inhaler. This bill does three things just really quickly. It allows doctors to write a prescription to an actual school. So before it had to be one person, now it could be like an entity as a school. Second, it allows pharmacists to disperse these medications to that school per personnel. And third, it allows the schools to hold, retain, and administer these medications when needed. Um, however, they got it passed because they did not ask for any money from the state government. So Correct. if we're thinking, okay, if we have this system where if a child is having an asthma attack in a school and nurses have two options, either either you call a parent or you call an ambulance. Ambulance in Arizona is approximately $500 every time you call. Um, and it depends on your insurance, but just $500. Uh, an inhaler is 60 So there's different, how would we do it if we have a program where we're like, look, we could save this much money in hospital costs by doing this, adding in this system. Um, how, what else can we prepare? Do we bring in like, these are hospital charges, this is how it might be alleviated, or do we do what is being done now where we have like a pilot study and we're saying, hey, look, we just started this program. In the first year, EMT, so emergency medical transport, has gone down 30%. We could estimate we've saved about this much money. Is that a better way to, but bringing information, being like, this is how much we've saved in this many years, is that like a better chance? Or how do we go about it? Well, I think you brought up a number of good points that I will try to unpack. Thank Number you. one, 
the idea of having a pilot program is always helpful because you can collect data from other states, you can extrapolate what you think the savings will be based upon some sort of a financial model, but to have an, a pilot program where you said, in Arizona, we did this and this was the outcome, if we could scale that up, we know based upon the pilot in Arizona, this is what the savings would be. I think that's extremely powerful. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. You don't have a pilot program. And in this particular case, uh, because I've worked on this legislation now uh, with the Geralds for a number of years, there are private entities that are donating the stock inhalers to the schools. So that's why the bill had no financial, um, uh, a fiscal note attached to it. So there's a number of different ways that we could approach this. We could say, now, is it the role of state government to expend public dollars to stock every school with an inhaler? And if the answer is yes, the next uh, advocacy group that will come to you and say, well, we should also stock every school with an EpiPen, for example, because I've also worked on that legislation. Mm -hmm. And the list could go on and on and on. So you have to be mindful of when you're trying to advance a policy, who else is in the space trying to do similar work? And if you can partner with them, you create a greater constituency coming together and saying, look, with the expenditure of, of this amount of money, whatever that money is, mm -hmm. you can drive down health care costs. You can save um, the dollars maybe that the school district is expending to help these students. You're uh, increasing the number of days kids are actually in school and de decreasing the number of days they miss instructional time. So there's all sorts of different ways that you can advance your policy, but being that this podcast is focused on the budget, the first example of providing a pilot program where there were no state dollars expended, but you could show now if you did expend state dollars, here's how you could scale the program up. Mm -hmm. And I think also trying to partner with other entities that are doing similar work so that you can create a greater constituency working together to get something passed. So in this case, for example, creating a healthy environment for kids at school. Yeah. Oh, well said. Thank you. We're getting to the last question, but I do want to give you the opportunity to share something you may not, we may not have gotten to. Is there something that comes to mind? Because I know you have experience and you work in appropriations. I think it's critically important for people to get involved and engaged in the legislative process before you're asking for money. If you make it your first appointment to talk with your legislator about expending millions of dollars, you're probably yeah. not going to be welcomed with open arms. Yeah, I, just, I mean, I'm sure I, they will take great time and listen to you and hopefully you know, that you're their constituent and you get to know each other. But my advice, I mean, this is my homework assignment in front of every group I speak to. You need to get to know your elected officials before you make an ask of any kind, whether it's to vote yes or no on a bill or whether it's to expend public dollars. Those relationships that you build with your elected officials become the foundation from which then you can build upon and help educate them on a number of different public health topics. But if you go in on day number one and say, hi, my name is Heather Carter and I'd like you to expend $10 million. No way. I, I think that's that's... It's almost like going to your grandma that you haven't seen in years and you're like, hi, grandma, haven't seen you in like eight years. You know, can you get me this really expensive present for Christmas? It's like, no. 
I think it's critically important for you to have these relationships because you never know when you're going to need to make that call to say, here's a bill that I'd like you to support. Here's a bill that I'd like you to oppose uh, in the state budget. I really like this piece of the state budget. And that's another suggestion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's important for you to not only get involved when you are making an ask, but to say that, you know, I see that you're doing work in this area, and I think that's a really good idea, and I support you in that. I think those type of contacts and re and catch them being good on social media. Say, hey, the state budget just came out. I really like what we're doing around uh, more maternal mortality, and I think we are doing the right thing and expending dollars in increasing access to care for, for pregnant women. moms. Mm -hmm. Send them a note. It goes a long Tweet way. It really yes. goes a long way. And if you are really ambitious and have the time, oh, man. come Tell down us. to the Capitol. <laughs> yes. You can sign in on the request to speak. And if you can't come to the Capitol, you can still sign in remotely once you have your account. And you can register your support or opposition for bills. The budget will be presented in a number of bills. You'll have the feed bill, which has all of the dollars attached to it on, on where those dollars will then be deposited in which agency. Mm -hmm. And then you have what are called the BURBs, the budget reconciliation bills. And so every uh, policy area will have a corresponding BURB. So there's a health care Burb. There's a human services burb. Sometimes it's a healthcare and human services burb. If there's not a lot, they put them together. There's a K-12 burb. There is a higher education burb. And so you would want to follow along on a number of bills. I mean, it could be anywhere between 12 and 15 bills to pass a budget. So when you hear somebody say, oh, you voted for a budget or against a budget, well, Sometimes it's a little more nuanced. I voted for the health care burb, but I voted against perhaps the K-12 burb. Mm -hmm. Or I voted against the feed bill, but I like how they're expending the dollars in K-12. So I voted for the K-12 burb, but I didn't vote for the feed bill because I wanted it, the number to be higher or lower or whatever the case may be. Wow, I did not know that. Yes, so it's not, you just don't make one budget vote. And I do think if we do have a, a little bit of time, let me just talk to you a little bit about what the budget looks like when it starts to oh, uh, yeah. come to fruition. So <laughs> we already talked about how the governor does the state of the state. He produces his budget book on Friday. The Appropriations Committee will start to hear presentations from the agencies great time to pay attention. Then we get into our day-to-day -day work at the Capitol, passing bills. And some bills will have a dollar amount attached to them. So you'll see that online as a fiscal note, and it will explain the dollars that it will take to enact that legislation. And then as that bill moves through, eventually the bill will come to a grinding halt and be put in, quote, the box. And it's oh, just really? a metaphorical box. It's not a real box. The box. And those bills go into a drawer or a box, whatever you want to call it. The drawer it. in the box. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's the box in the drawer. And then when we are working on the budget, we look at all of the bills that have passed through an appropriations committee or an education committee or even passed out of one chamber and were stopped in the other chamber that had money attached to it to see if that makes it into the budget. This year, I'm going to ask for um, an analysis of how many bills moved through the system and never made it into the budget. They died in the box. So you, the goal is to get your bill out of the box and into the budget. So once the budget starts, then you'll have a series of public meetings in appropriations mm -hmm. where all of the budget bills will be introduced, 
debated and voted on. Then those bills, just like any other bill, move to the floor. Uh, through the they move to the caucuses first, then they mm -hmm. move to the floor where you can have debate in committee of the whole. Then they go to third read, they switch chambers, and so forth. Many times, what you'll see is bills moving simultaneously. So you'll have the House moving at the same time as the Senate, mm -hmm. and then one chamber will pass at third read. And rather than passing the bills out and and doing it twice in each chamber, they'll just swap a House bill out for a Senate bill or Senate bills out for the House bill, and then send it up to the governor. And just depending on what the negotiations are like this particular year, so like in this case, when we passed the bills out of the House, the bills came out of the House, they went through the, the Senate bills, went through the Senate process, and then when we went to third read, we didn't actually third read the Senate bills, we third read the House bills because they were in the same format. Mm -hmm. Then they went to the governor, and the governor already had negotiated what was in those bills, so uh, he signed it upon arrival. There's been legislative years in the past where governors vetoed a bill and said, no, legislature, start all over. So oh my anything what happens can happen, then, then you got to start all over. Because if, Do if, you still use the the bills that made it to the box, or do you oh, have to literally start it, over? Well, you're literally starting over with new bills, because if he vetoed a bill, the only way that you would be able to resurrect that is to do a veto override, which is painful. And, yeah, no. Uh, you know, you could go back in Arizona history— Every budget is unique and different, like children. I think that there isn't one standard way to pass a budget, but there are certain time frames that you know you have to meet. You know that the governor has to have a state of the state. You know the governor will introduce his or her budget book on Friday. You know that the legislature will pass a budget. And so just when all of that happens, you have to stay tuned. This year, we went late. We've gone later since I've served. The latest I think I've been in the Capitol is in the middle of June. We Wait, have session to have went until June. So technically, 2013, we went until June when we were doing Medicaid restoration and expansion. Ladies and gentlemen, just a reminder, usually legislative session should be 100 days. Right, which is about the end of April. Yes, so I just want to paint that picture. And before my time, I think it was, I can't remember if it was the budget in 2009 or 10 or both, the budget went all the way up until the last day of June. Oh and God. technically, Painful. we're supposed to have the budget done before the June. next fiscal year, which is July 1st. <gasps> that is cutting it so There's all sorts close. of rumors that they covered up clocks with towels so that they didn't know so that they, they rolled it. But oh technically, if you open up session in June, mm -hmm. even though you roll over midnight, you're still in that legislative day. So... All sorts of fun history. You could do you could do an entire podcast series on describing uh, each legislative cycle for our last ten state budgets. That would be so interesting. And no one story would be the same. I bet. The fastest we've passed a budget. I'm trying to think since I've been there. I can't remember if we did one in March, but I know we were working on it in March. Typically, for those uh, that are on the university calendar, I always try to uh, warn people that you'll see the budget start to percolate around your spring break time. So nothing like spring break for <laughs> students to come down to the Capitol and testify on the state budget. Oh, that, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it. You've heard it all. Um, and just as a quick reminder, so you've, the budget is like a conglomerate, and I want people to know that. It's just a mix of a lot of different things. It's not just one plan. I think you painted a really good picture to show how intricate it is and how many different steps there are to make it on the budget and the process of where it goes. So 
I think, thank you so much. Well, and that's a, that's a great point because even within, let's say, the health burb, the mm -hmm. budget reconciliation bill, there may be 15 different programs in that bill. Wow. And you may like 14 out of the 15, but that last one is sort of the poison pill and you vote against the whole bill. Or you may really support two or three things in that bill that are your number one priority and the rest of it you could take it or leave it but you go on ahead and vote for the bill because there's two or three critical things in there that you must have so even within the bill so it's not only a number of bills even each budget reconciliation bill the burbs mm -hmm. are very complex and could have a number of items in there my goodness. Thank you, Dr. Carter. Thank my you pleasure. so much for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, oh my goodness. This is incredible. All right. Have a great day. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hope to see everyone at the Capitol. Just in time for a quick recap of today's episode. State budgets are different than the federal government. States must balance their budgets. Therefore, if the revenues are not balanced with spending, the state generally can address this in a couple ways. One, by raising taxes, cutting services, borrowing money, or a combination of the three. We also discussed the process of the budget and when to get involved. So one, we learned that budget instructions are sent to state agencies, for example, Arizona Department of Health Services on June 1st of the year prior. Then state agencies must submit their budget request to the governor before technically by September 1st. We also learned that agency hearings are held in November and December. Then the governor submits his or her proposed budget to the state legislature in January. First by doing a state of the state speech, then releases the budget in writing, which can be found in the state governor's website. From January through April, the legislature debates the budget. If you have a program you would like to get funded through example, Arizona Department Health Services, ADHS, or another agency, know the timeline. Upon sine die, which we learned is the end of the legislative session, work with the respected agency before they submit their budget to the governor. Therefore, work with them before September 1st. A great tip from Carter is to work a year in advance. This gives time to educate on the necessity of your issue and gets it into the executive budget to then be approved by the legislature. Above everything, we also learned that bills can grow legs and nothing is truly dead until signy die. Next on Arizona Common Ground. I don't use the term conservative as a pejorative, as a as a criticism of somebody. When somebody uses that term about themselves, my question to them is what is it you're trying to conserve and how can I help you?